It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at cboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at cboc.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lookabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw with us, a voice and speech coach and a damn good actor, too. He is the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to day two of the CBOC online conference. We've had a great start so far this morning, and now we're going to actually look at how you can actually determine your area of expertise. So, Jeremy, I'm sure you have a plan. I don't, Tom. (laughs) That's that's why it's a collective effort here, and we've got everyone to talk about it. It is one of those things. It's I think it's one of the biggest things, one of the biggest challenges that we hear from the people that we talk to, not only you know, not only in our field, but also in related fields, because we have different passion areas and we have different skill levels and different skills that we want to acquire, but we also have these different competencies. And especially for IO, IO students or grad students that have recently graduated, it's difficult because you learn so much in your studies. And then the the key thing, the key focus is often, okay, well, now I need to get a job in the area. And one of those key things, a niche area, here's why a niche area is so important. Think about it in terms of, especially if you're in, uh, like, like, let's. I think we have lost Jeremy. Oh, no, Jeremy fell off. I know. (laughs) I don't think I can do the Jeremy voice. That was just abrupt. I can do the hand. (laughs) Oh, he's back. He's back. Am I back? back. There we are. (laughs) I said I can't do your voice, but I can do your hands. Yeah, just keep moving your hands and like mime or something like that. (laughs) Where was I saying? One of your key experts. Oh, consider yourself as a, this is why a niche area is so important. If you think of yourself as a consultant, you want to speak to specifically to somebody for some reason. A lot of people say, well, I can do these other things. So why don't I mention all these things? But then of course you become the jack of all trades, but think of it like this. Let's say that you're an expert basketball player or you're an expert coach and you want to, you want to say, okay, if you want coaching in basketball, please come to me. You might be speaking to, let's say you're speaking to a hundred people and maybe two of those people show up for your coaching. But if you say, I can teach you how to do three-point shots, I'm the three-point shot basketball coach guy. You might only speak to 20 people, but then you might get five people that come to you because that's your area of expertise. You're speaking directly to certain people with a certain need. And the same thing happens when you're finding, when you're with your niche in IO psychology. It's a little different when when you're a consultant versus when you're in the job search, because when you're in the job search, Let's face it, job racks are vague. The descriptions are a little vague. Uh, and even if they are really tailored, then it becomes, well, can I stretch myself and say that I know how to do this? That's when it's, if you start to see things in job descriptions, for example, 
that's when you might say, this is really interesting to me. Maybe I could take a free edX course or a free Coursera course, or, you know, tie up with some other people in the field or ask people if I can be a fly on the wall for some of their consulting projects. So you can start to understand that and get that level of expertise, almost like a cross training or even some kind of an informal internship. That way, you might not be able to apply for that job interview, that particular job, but down the road, you'll be able to, because within a month, you've really started to hone in on some particular skills. So when you're, when you can hone in and you can say, here's how it looks. If you're a consultant looking for business, what's my, what's my niche area. And then hone in when you're job market type of thing, when you can do it, the earlier you can, it's it's weird, right? The earlier you can do it in grad school, the better, but so the earlier you can do it in grad school, the better, because then you can start to focus on your studies, your, uh, the reports you're writing, all this kind of stuff. And you can start to focus on that to lead you up to that point of being more of an expert, more of an SME in that particular area. The only drawback is what if your interest area changes or what if you can't decide? It kind of goes back to, I think it was Colin Powell that said years ago, indecision has cost America and American business billions and billions of more dollars than a bad decision. If you make a bad decision, you can adjust. So sometimes it's important just to be decisive, maybe dive into some area you might think of as a niche area. And if it's not what you want, fine. The worst thing that happened is you learned a new critical way of thinking. You learned a new skill. Tom, back over to you. Well, I was just kind of wondering, Jeremy, because you know, with, with, you know, my own experience many years ago as a young actor was, you know, coming out of university, like I'm brilliant. I can do anything, but we worked with some casting directors who would come in and go, here's what you're going to play. For me, it was, you, you know, you could be the drug dealer or the cop who arrests the drug dealer. That was my main sort of casting. Are, are we seeing in IO psychology especially the the graduate program level where people are coming in and going, you know, here are some of the hot topics or are the instructors able to go, you know, with what I'm seeing from you and your skill base, you should go into this branch. Is any of that happening? So as far as the graduate programs, what we've been hearing, and again, we don't know everything, but we, we have been working with the universities, these universities that are moving towards a practitioner oriented program, for example, Vanguard University, Dr. Ben Wood, some of you are here, you know, Ben Wood, Ben Wood told you to come because you're in his class, I think, but that that's, they have, I think they're working on this program and they have 98% of their faculty are actually practitioners. When you look at the standard across the line, you look at these universities that have programs, some of them may be practitioners, consultants on the side, but just to ballpark it, and I, it's just a ballpark, I'm just going to guess that maybe 20 to 35% is the average for the professors who haven't been just purely academic. So in order to say, hey, here's where your niche is and here's how you could actually practice, I mean, let's face it, a lot of the grad school programs are focused on the academic research so that people can continue in academic research after they graduate from the program. But the good news is, is, is the programs are starting to go uh, a little differently. What's the first part of that question that you asked me? Because I think I hit the last part. Well, it, it was sort of the philosophy of, you know, when you're a young actor coming out, and I think it's the same for IO psychology students, I can do everything, you know, and and you just feel like you're so talented, you're so smart and brilliant, you know, you could go into any sort of niche, but you really do need to focus on it because not the rest, you know, the rest of the world won't see you in that niche or 
if I'm actually looking to hire an IO, I actually know what I'm looking for. I want this particular branch. So what is the importance of really honing down to that niche and choosing the right one? So I'm going to answer, I'm going to say yes and no, which doesn't answer your immediate question. But it answers a question before just to give you my line of thinking. So think about it like this. There, there's a there's a quote by Con, big researchers in the space, Conley and Zigarami, the every day, the passions of millions of people die at the front doorstep of their workplace. And that's important. Think about how many people have ever, th- think about just any job that somebody's got hired for. And Destiny with my quotes, I know. I actually think I, I said that quote to Destiny yesterday when we were on the phone. So it's like fresh in my mind. But think about it. How many people go to work and they think they're hired for a, a specific skill or talent and they get in their job and they're told what to do and how to do it. And then six months later, their boss forgets why they're hired. They forget why they're, why they're hired. So it's almost this thing where a niche is important it's not the end of the world. It'll help you, but no matter what it is. And as far as thinking, I'm so talented, I can do everything. I don't necessarily think that's, and plenty of people can disagree. I don't necessarily think that's a bad idea. A, because if you can keep that drive and that is maybe one of the aspects or traits of somebody who is a lifelong learner, you can't, of course, you can't be overconfident because then you go to the company and you're like, oh, do it this way, do it this way. And of course you get shot down and then you get fired and then you're back. So you can't go in and just start bossing people around and thinking you're the greatest. But if you think that you can go into any job and learn enough, ask enough questions, tap into your skills and your competencies, I think that's really an important way to go. And because you might start to find a little bit more about what your niche is, we mentioned yesterday that a lot of people that are in the job search are really just have this feeling of put me in coach, you know, just give me a chance, hire me, I can do it. So and that that eats away a lot, especially with the people who get in this loop of interviews and hiring and it's it's just not working out. So the good news is, is that's what we're here to talk about today to hone in more on the, the better answers to your question, Tom. Well, for a better answer, let's go to Deborah. Hello, Deborah. <laughs> Hi, good morning. I just wanted to say that in this topic, something that I think is very important to really be cognizant of while like while figuring this out is that because IO psychology has a branding issue, if we don't clarify for ourselves and for the people that we want to serve, either in a consultancy role or just in the job search, if we can't clarify that for ourselves and for others, it's going to be really, really hard to achieve our goals. So let me just tell you an example of that. Be um, When I was starting my consultancy practice, I could do anything, right? I could do test construction if I wanted to. I know how to do it. I've done it. I did it in courses. I did it for clients uh, while, while I was interning, but it's not something that I love to do. And so when I was thinking about how can I best support the clients that I love supporting, which were entrepreneurs, I'm not, I'm, I wasn't going to go with test construction. I took a labor law course and I know the law in Puerto Rico uh, and the labor law in Puerto Rico. But again, that's not something that fuels me. That's not something that motivates me. And I could have done it, right? The chameleon effect is very real and we can do it. We have the skills and we have the knowledge to do it. But that doesn't mean that you have the drive to do it, the motivation. And being a chameleon takes a lot of effort. So I would just say as a recommendation, think about what courses you love taking when you were at school, right? When you were in grad school, 
What projects made you really excited? What internship parts made you really excited? And really dig into those, make a list, dig into those and figure out whether you can spend a lot of time doing that. Because when you're in a job or when you're in a consulting role, you will spend a lot of time doing that, or at least thinking about that concept or thinking about that process. So I think it's really important for us to clarify that very early on um, before, you know, creating our brand or before really going into that job search, because that'll save us a lot of effort down the line. And I agree with Jeremy. It's not like we can't change our minds. We definitely will change our minds. We will evolve. Um, that's something I was really afraid of doing at the beginning. Like, what if I choose something and it's not it and I'm stuck with that. And the reality of the matter is that you're not stuck with that, right? Um, we are evolving human beings and we can always choose something different, but really choosing something at the beginning will at least give you training wheels into how to do this, right? How to do the job search when what you want to do is test construction, how to do the consulting role when what you want to do is for example, labor law, or if you want to do in my, in my case, I do organizational diagnosis and I focus on culture, organizational culture. So those were my training wheels. And I started just running the bike and seeing how it goes. And it has definitely evolved in the last three years, but I'm so glad I started somewhere. And I'm so glad I started where my motivation and my drive were at the beginning. So I don't know if that helps, but it's really important to clarify that because IO is already pretty vague. It could mean a lot of things. So you have to define it for yourself first before you can sell yourself to, you know, clients or potential jobs. And the only thing we know for sure is if you don't start, you won't get anywhere. Uh, Kayla, let's go to you. Okay. So I am the uh, aforementioned person who is interested in sports psychology. So thank you, Natasha, for the shout out. I guess I just wanted to share quickly how I got into it. It was actually my first semester of grad school. There was a particular sports team that I was interested in. And once I started hearing, like in my organizational strategy class, I just started connecting the dots and putting it all together. And then I got permission from certain professors to be able to take these sports psychology courses as part of my elective. So that's kind of how I came to it. But Tom, just related to you also, I met someone recently who is an actor. And when I was telling her about what I was interested in, she said, oh, the same thing can apply to acting as well because it's performance. So that kind of overlaps everywhere. But then there is what we did speak about before is there's always a little bit of a concern of when you're really passionate about something and that is your interest. They do say that not everyone should be working in their interest because they can kind of make them lose that love and connection. I'm not currently working in this field right now, so I don't have to worry about that, but there is where I, that is where I want to go. So I'm just kind of trying to pay attention to all of these things to make sure that I don't lose that passion and love. Um, well, hopefully the passion never dies and that you pick the right one and, and that that propels you forward. Amanda, let's go to you. So there was something that was indicated about not doing or not necessarily doing something that's your passion. And sometimes those areas are our foot in the door. Because when we consider what is the areas that make most folks uncomfortable, not want to do instrumentation and statistical analysis, most people will actually pride themselves of avoiding those classes in undergrad if they're able to find a substitute for them. 
So if we have that opportunity to leverage those skill sets to get our foot in the door and then do some job crafting, that is a really great way to give yourself that opportunity of building a foundation base of, hey, I've been practicing in my area of expertise. While it's not identified as that, I have started to build some credibility in that area and then start reaching out from there because honestly, that's what got me my first role where I was in L&D was the instrumentation, the statistical analysis. Is that my favorite? Absolutely not. But it's what helped propel that in that direction. And for those that are really struggling and figuring out what it is you're really interested in, one of my mentees last year, part of the MPA network here in Minnesota, she was just trying to figure out where she wants to go. She's been doing some internships and she landed a job as a generalist to give her the exposure to different areas of practice. So in order to maybe find what it is you're interested in, maybe the first step is in an HR generalist role to touch a little bit of everything and then to really start advocating for yourself saying, hey, I'm really good at this and I've got a skill set that backs it. Um, Because finding that niche, it's going to take time, either through exposure to the content, exposure and practice, exposure and experience. It just give yourself some grace if you don't know what it is right now, because it will come. Yes, it certainly will. Lee, off to you. I think one thing that we don't touch on enough is the fact that it's okay to admit that you're wrong. So if you were just, you just knew that this was your niche, this this was the thing that you were going to do and you were going to rock the world with your greatness. And then it turned out it didn't work out. You, you, you hated it. There were no opportunities, whatever the case may be. No, it's okay. I mean, one of the biggest ways to succeed is to fail. You know, we don't learn anything in success. I mean, we celebrate that. We learn in failure. And so don't know if you can do it. Well, you won't know until you try. So do it. Get out there. Uh, you know, make your mistakes and then admit that you made a mistake. That's the hard part. So you can say, well, maybe I was wrong. Maybe this isn't what I wanted to do. But if I sidestep, because that's the beauty of IO is you can sidestep. I mean, two or three steps even. I mean, IO is huge and you can do that and you can do that more than once. I mean, I know several people that have gone in various directions in their career and you're like, what? You started here. How the heck did you end up over here? And it's an interesting story when you talk about, well, I went this way, then I went that way, then I went this way. You know, because you know, some people's job path looks more like a tree than it does a straight line. And that's awesome because those people can give you some great, great feedback. But the, the key is to start. I mean, think think about it like a doctor, okay? So, you know, everybody goes to medical school, they become a, a doctor, a general doctor, they do an internship. But then the majority, we're gonna, they're going to move on from that. They're going to become an orthopedic or something. And so they go and they get that specialized training and they go in that specialized direction. And when you meet them, they're like, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. And you can be the same way. You don't have to get so wrapped around the fact that I am an IO, I am all things to all people. And good on you if you are one of the few that can do that, because most of us can't. But if you are a, you know, org change consultant, there you go. So with that, I'll step back and let Ariana talk because she's smarter than I am. Dr. Ariana, let's go to you. Yeah, I definitely agree with what has been said so far. A lot of people have mentioned following passions. I think that's definitely one great place to start. Get really in tune with which IO classes you've been liking and which ones you haven't. Have you been feeling more inspired around training or has it been more around stats? 
And I think you can complement that then with your previous experiences, anything that you can shape as a previous experience to support you being an expert in this area. So you're likely, or many of you are likely choosing research areas. How can you align that research with where you want to define your niche? And then lastly, taking a strengths-based approach. So I think that there are so many diverse tasks that we can do as IO psychologists. But for me personally, I tend to be a little bit less detail-oriented and like to work with people more than data. So for that reason, I've crafted a niche for myself that's more in leadership development, consulting with others, facilitation, things that require you to be in front of clients, but maybe less over time, weeding out more of the data analysis for my own journey. So I think it's about one, figuring out your passions, aligning it with your experiences and your natural strengths. And then beyond that, I encourage you to get feedback from your community. What do your professors think that they've seen you shine in? When have your colleagues or other people in your program seen you be the most effective? So don't be afraid to go out and get feedback from those around you. And I think with triangulating a number of these areas, you'll probably find what your natural niche is. Are are there any assessments out there that would tell an IO which niche they might want to pursue? Well, there are so many assessments out there. I don't know that we should create one that's IO specific um, to what kind of niche you should have. That would be cool. But I think that even doing the big five, understanding whether or not you're more extroverted or introverted, where you fall in conscientiousness, I think any of the assessments that you can take give you greater personal awareness, which then will support you in identifying with yourself, where you're going to best fall and where you're going to feel the most naturally motivated, where you're going to have the most natural curiosity. And I think that that will build over time. And like someone else said, this doesn't happen in a day, but as we begin to build our CV, it becomes a more of a branding tool for ourselves to say, yes, I have this expertise that's been developed over time, but don't be afraid if you're just starting. I personally got exposure to a lot when I was just starting. And I think that can also be a benefit because then you're getting hands-on experience and seeing in real time what you like and don't like. And then you can always shift later, like Lee was saying. Nice. Linda Ann, let's go to you. So I think this is is such a uh, an important challenge to to come to terms with with in 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 IO because I think it's so confusing initially. And one of the things that I think can help people is to really talk about what they like to what they do a lot. Talk to other people a lot about what you do and and what's important to you because as you talk about it, you will understand what you care about. And think about what things you have strong opinions about. And that will be an indicator as to something that you're really passionate about. So when someone brings up controversial topics or things that that can be um, a challenge in the workplace or whatever, when you find yourself really being passionate about that topic, look into that more because that's something that you really, when you have a strong opinion about it, it will be something that, that you really care about and probably should spend some time thinking about the niche that goes with that. And and as everyone else has said, you don't nothing is it's not the 10 commandments when you pick one. You know, you, you don't have to walk around with the stones. You can it will evolve. If it if you're doing things well, it's going to evolve over time. So I would say talk about what you do 
a lot to others, figure out what you have really strong opinions about, and then learn how to translate that into organization speak. In other words, mm-hmm. you it's really difficult to find a position when you have an IO technical description of it. You have to translate that into something business people, HR, whoever the hiring manager is, that they can understand and also have some connection to the monetary value, the monetary impact that that it delivers. Does it make sense to, you know, if you're thinking about applying to an organization as an IO, to take a look at what might be considered, you know, their pain points? What are they looking? What are the issues that they're looking to solve? And if you can address those when you're talking to them, that would be beneficial? Oh, that exactly. Right. You have to you have to speak a language they can hear. So even though you have this language when you're in the work uh, cookie podcast, when you're talking to the company that you want to work for, it has to be in a language they can understand right. and, and relate to. And so and it's solve a, and exactly have it solve the problem. Nice. And if anyone missed it in the chat, Linda Ann put in a Word document and she's this is something that she shared with our Pathfinder members as well. It's download it and either look at it now or just keep it. But it's it's rich and it's very specific in terms of different specific niche, almost like niche areas within their niche areas. So I just wanted to point that out in case case anyone missed it in the chat, the the doc that she shared. Well, thank you very much for that, Jeremy. Carolyn, let's go to you. I was scrolling up to find that doc. If someone can repost it, it would be great. I just I have a question from the student perspective as well as the career professional, I guess. And I apologize for my blurry camera. But for me, and I was talking with it in my my little group that we met up, I've got such a varied background. I'm from HR to EEO to medical to IT to blah, blah, just name it, right? But then I got into IO because I wanted to go to school, but I knew I didn't want to do another MBA. So, I mean, I'm just all over the place, right? Finally figured out what IO is. I know I have 1,800 passions, but my fear is transitioning from a federal government space into my own path. And again, I heard you, Lee saying, you know, you don't know until you try, but I still have to take care of a family. So I'm curious to your journey lines on when you built that confidence or how long it took to build that confidence to make the transition into IO from those of you who've been doing it. And also if there's any recommendations you can come up with or share with me on how to maybe narrow that gap and and to build that confidence in more than just those other areas, because IO is still new to us as students. Although we think we know it's a scary transition. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me. Um, and Lee, um, maybe you want to start us with there, but I'll invite any of the uh, CBOC experts to jump in and, and try and tackle that one. Lee, let's go to you. You know, as far as making the jump over, I personally have never had a job that the title was IO. I have done lots of jobs that contained elements of IO. And through that, I've been able to kind of hone in on the things that I wanted to do. A lot of IOs that I spoke to, it's it's kind of a job crafting kind of thing. You get into the position, you get into something that seems like it might be kind of interesting to you, and then you look for ways that you can branch out. You know, there's a lot of organizations, maybe most organizations, don't have any IO position or even any IO anything. They have no idea what IO is. You ask my IO and they're like input, output, you know, something like that. And so what you have to do is you have to approach it from the language that they understand. So we have change going on. Change management. Oh, that's part of IO. I don't have to use the words IO, but I can use the words change management. I can use the words oh, or development. I can use those words. I can use the words uh, employee development or talent development. I can use those words that they understand. That's part of the IO umbrella. I know that. 
you guys all know that, but we don't necessarily have to let them in on the secret because we, we can use the words that they understand and then we can work in that direction. And, you know, I know in my, my particular thing, I've worked myself out of jobs numerous times because I started doing these things to make things work better and the process improve and all these kind of things. All of a sudden they're like, Oh, well, I mean, what you were doing, we don't need anymore. You know, and then you, you move on to the next thing and it's kind of a good problem. But if you're, if you're looking for that mythical unicorn IO position, you may be disappointed. Well, there, there's almost, there, there, there almost seems to be a running theme over the last day and a half of, you, you you probably won't find the perfect IO job looking through the help wanted ads, but because IO is so relatively you know new, you know even though it's a hundred plus years old, it's really having its coming out party now. That you are in a unique position where if you can land a job, you're going to be able to adapt that job into what the company needs, and more than likely you're going to find where your passions lie. Is that sort of the, the philosophy that we should be looking at is, is once you get that job, you can create it to make it the job that you want? In many cases, yeah. And if you can't, then it's time to move on to something else. You know, my, my dad always told me when I was coming out of college that it's easy to find a job when you have a job. Yeah. So if you're in the job that you're in right now and it's not what you want to do, that's okay. You got a paycheck. You can support your family. You can keep the lights on, keep the bank out of, out of your business. You can take that time to, to, to do your research, to take your time, to do your, your informational interviews, to look for what you want to do, to look at things that you can expand. Because let's face it, different organizations are not going to be open. They're not going to have the bandwidth. They're not going to have the interest, uh, while others are going to have the room that you can move around. And, and you're going to have to do your research. So I don't, I don't recommend anybody just go, you know, I quit. I'm out of here. I'm going to go find an I.O. job. That's probably not a, not a great strategy. Get the job, keep the bills paid, keep the lights on, and work on your strategy. There's a lot of people in this room, and a lot of people have got the experiences that can help you. And, and, and the majority, if not all, are willing to share that information. So you know, make your, your strategy and start going down that road. And if you realize that strategy is not working, well, that's okay. The, you know, no battle plan survives contact with the enemy. I mean, we adjust, we move. As we used to say, Semper Gumby, always flexible. I get it. And Carol, did I I answer your question? I I know I kind of went around a bit. Did I answer your question? You you did in some aspects. Like I said, for me, it's just a challenge of kind of knowing where I fit in. And I think that one thing, if anything, that I've gotten out of this is the fact that there is a network here and there are people that are willing to share. There's not too many industries that people are willing to share data um, Dr. Preet probably can talk about it from the military. Everybody wants to keep it because they want the next promotion. <laughs> you know, people don't want to have the information shared with anybody in the government because then you might get more qualifications than me. And it, it does not seem like there's a single soul in this room that that feels that way. So that's the encouraging part for me. And moving forward, you know, I do plan to try to keep in touch with where I can as I go through. I, I kind of know that my niche, I think, is within career transition, career path development, um, those types of things, especially with all my moving around career identity, even, you know, coming from the military to civilian, civilian to get, you know, all over the place. So it's all, it's all those things coming together, but how to articulate that I think is going to be my challenge and being confident that I am the expert. I think somebody said it yesterday that I'm, what am I really an expert in? Am, am I, what am I an expert? And then somebody else said that, well, think about your background, think about where you came from, think about what you, you know, your experiences, think about what you love and all those things make me an expert in a lot of different areas. 
And other people have always come to me and said, oh, you should be a coach. You should do this. You should, you should venture on this. You should. So I mean, I've heard it my whole life, but now I have to start to believe it. And because I've had all the naysayers at the same time, it's hard to believe it in me. And I think maybe just supporting myself with a network of people that can see it and also confirm it. Maybe I'll start believing it. You know what I mean? And that's my challenge. So it's, it's, it's something where I appreciate the information and you kind of guided me a little bit, but that tree you were talking about, believe me, it's been planted and dug up and relocated and, and, you know, PCS and all the work, but I'm, I'm where I am and I know I'm here for a reason. So that that's the important piece. Yeah. Let me, let me follow up with two things real quick and then I'll hand it off. One, the naysayers and all that people who come from that side, either they're jealous or they're confused because they don't understand why the people support, they just don't understand it. And so the only thing that they can do is attack it. So they're fans that just don't know it. So don't put a whole lot of stock into that. And two, what you just said, I mean, think about that. You know, coaching is is a big part of that. And transition planning, um, contingency, that sort of thing. Going in and helping people make those plans to transition people through their promotions or even out of the organization. I mean, that's not near enough of that out there, but that's huge. And if you can, if you can sell that, I mean, that's huge. The stability. I mean, we did a whole episode on work cookie about stuff like that. I mean, that's, that's something you should consider because coming out of the military is no joke. No kidding. Several of us know that. And uh, you, you have super skills that you don't even realize you have. And I'll say to all of you, don't be surprised if your niche comes up and bites you in the tail and you go, wow, I didn't know you were there. So be open to that. Anyway, thanks. Carolyn, if I may jump in just for a moment, because I did hear you say you're a federal employee. I also work for the federal government. They hire IOs and all you need is for a degree in IO psychology to qualify. So do what you will with that information. You know, they also do prioritize hiring veterans and people who identify as having a disability. So you can also do what you will with that information. If you work in EEO, that's a perfect space for you to even start where you are and apply your IO skills because you can now look at the data and see, okay, what are the complaints? What what are the complaints that we're receiving, right? We have something called a management directive 715. If you've heard of it, the MD 715. And that, so that's the report where you're supposed to report to the EEOC about all these programs that you're doing to engage employees with disabilities and people who identify with a racial minority, et cetera, et cetera. So that's a lot of where your IO skill comes in because you have to conduct barrier analyses. You have to forge relationships across different departments, across different groups, recruitment, talent acquisition, DEIA, to see what programs they're putting in place to address a lot of these barriers. So you're in a very unique place to leverage your skills as an IO, but as a fellow Fed, you know, you can start where you are as you start to figure out exactly what you might want to do when you transition out of the federal government. Um, And if you want to, you know, chat offline, I can do that as well, because there's like a whole world of things you can do. If you work as a personnel research psychologist, again, you'll be focused more on competency modeling and job analysis, because that's more of a bigger focus that OPM is driving. Office of Personnel Management, for those who don't know what OPM stands for. But again, there are so many ways that you can apply that research, that data-driven focus to really make that impact as an IO in the federal government. So I I did want to share that. And if I may, I 
though there were, again, I'm here for the people. There were some comments. I know Brianna mentioned she has a performing arts background. I did get to chat with Christina, if if that's okay with me, shouting you out as well. And she works with people with psychiatric disabilities. Everyone is in these very unique niches, right? I mentioned yesterday that I came from sales. Start looking at where the gaps are with the workforce in that area that you work in, right? If you're working in the arts, I mean, look now, we have a writers and an actor have been dealing with that is now causing them to strike, right? Because it can't just be that check that's three cents, right? There's also perhaps hostile work environments where they're having to work under very intense conditions and all for them to get a three cent check, you know? So if you're in the arts, if you're in sales, if you're in brand, if you're in EEO, if you're in legal, there are so many ways that you can make an impact as an IO. Start to look at where the barriers are. Start to look at where the gaps are. When you're looking at niches as well, there's quantitative analysis and qualitative, right? The quantitative is is when you're more familiar with the numbers, when you're more familiar with statistics, but qualitative analysis is very valuable too. That's where you have your focus groups. That's where you have your interviews. That's where you just talk to folks, right? You interact with them. You you meet someone down the hall who is like, listen, I'm finding this issue in our team. And that's already a trigger for you to say, okay, we need to look more into that. And I know we're going to be talking about establishing yourself as a resource later, but that's where you start being resourceful and connecting with other people in the organization to help you conduct those barrier or root cause analyses to understand the gaps in the workforce. And I know we're running out of time. So if it's okay for me to take 30 more seconds, Destiny, um, I know Linda, you, Linda Ann, you, you honed in on something very important, thinking about what you're passionate about, right? Some of those things that really um, make you more excited or make you more angry. And I know, again, we have a lot of people joining in from all over the world. I've had clients. I usually work with clients who are not born in the United States, who are IO students. And I've sat in classes with people not born in the United States. And oftentimes when you are in the United States or your family has immigrated to another country, you want to learn all that you can learn so that you can go back to where you came from and 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 serve, right? And serve the diaspora that's in that space or abroad. And so I would also, when you're thinking of your passions, think of your culture, think of those things that you identify with and think of those challenges. I grew up uh, Seventh-day Adventist and my dissertation covered the volunteer workforce in the Seventh-day Adventist church. And it was very interesting to take psychological ownership and IO psychology concept and transfer it. And I remember my dissertation advisor at first said, well, this is more general psychology. This is not IO psychology. And, and if you, if you're a Christian, you might be able to relate, but I'm up at four o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, you mean to tell me that Jesus didn't recruit, maintain and train 12 disciples. And I'm typing away and finding research and so on and so forth. But I was able to justify that there's a lot of IO work that only covers IO research that only, you know, amplifies and zeroes in on for profit workforces, but it doesn't look at volunteers who often spend most of their time serving again at you know, the food pantry at their church, at the local nonprofit organization. And those, those individuals need training. They need motivation. They need engagement and so on and so forth. So I just wanted to add on that and, and just slip that in if that's okay. And I hope everybody has a good lunch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You're you're the best. And Juliet's going to MGM on, on Saturday. And I'm so glad I've known Juliet, Dr. Nelson for so long. We've never met in person. So if you can make it to MGM casino, come on in. 
So we are on time. Here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to get to the hands that are up. I did want to mention one thing quick because it's really important. There's been a lot of talk of assessments in the chat. I think this is something that we should, Destiny, if we can make a mental note to cover this during the first like post three-day discussion that we have uh, at the end of August, because this is really important. Many of you know this, some of you don't. If you have a PhD, you don't need to get certified in any assessment. If you have a master's, you probably don't need to get certified in any assessment that you want. Because of our skill level, you're able to do it. You're able to purchase some, you're able to debrief. However, if you're going to not get certified, you better know your stuff. Make sure you look at the tech reports. Some of them are two to 300 pages long. You've got to know everything about the statistics, the validity, the reliability, the psychometric properties, why they can hold up in a court of law, especially if used in high stakes situations. I say this because two to $3,000 per certification for an assessment can get expensive. So you don't need to be certified. Does it help? Sure. What's on my resume? or whatever I put put out for job for um, for clients, it says my qualifications and credentials are for, and then I list like all the big ones. Also be careful. There's a lot of very serious IOs which get pulled in the direction of non-IOs, which have been going on for a while with these assessments that definitely should be not used in any kinds of high stakes situation. I'm not gonna mention them here. You guys probably know what they are. But it's very important that if you're looking at assessments, you're not looking at the Mickey Mouse assessments and using those. Look towards the bigger ones. Unless you're doing like general team building for like middle, like middle managers or line level staff, you should be really concentrating on the assessments that are going to pack a punch, be legally defensible. We'll talk more about that, but there it's just it's very important that you you know, really consider. So we're going to talk about that on the 27th, Wednesday, August, during our post uh, three-day event, which you can get tickets on the website. So I just wanted, it's important to note. Anyway, Linda Ann, we're going to go to you. We're going to try to make this quick. So we'll go to you, Carolyn, if your hand's still up, and then Alexander, and then we're going to cut for break, open networking, and then we're going to rejoin. All right. Linda Ann, take it away. Quickly. I wanted to, especially to, to Carolyn, point out that confidence is a result. It's not a thing that you need ahead of time. It's the result that you gain when you put yourself out there and start having those conversations and getting that feedback when somebody says, oh, good point, or um, I hadn't thought about it that way or anything like that. So by going out there and, and having those conversations, that's how you get to confidence. You don't need your confidence First, I know it's hard because if I take something from pretty woman, you know, the negative stuff is always easier to believe. Right. And we're hardwired as humans that way for survival. So just I wanted to make that point. And also of all the people that I've met here through uh, CBOC, I don't know anybody who's had a straight path to anywhere. Right. It's been it's been a very diverse path. And we end up using every piece of where we've been in what we do today. So there you go. Thank you. Thanks. And let's go to Alexander. Hello, Alexander. Hello. Thank you so much. So I wanted to address kind of that question going back to getting into the field. And when we have jobs that maybe aren't IO, how can we bring in those IO skills into those jobs? I come from an IT background, um, senior 
management within that. And now I own an IT company and we constantly are bringing in IO research into it. In fact, last night we were just working on something. So it was fresh in my head when that was being spoken about. So I wanted to just kind of bring this into light for it. Currently, about 60% of small and medium-sized businesses close within six months of a ransomware attack. And we know that last year, 70% of all small, medium-sized businesses actually had a ransomware attack. We also know that around half of executives leave within six months of a ransomware attack. So this also is looking at, we can bring in these aspects of, we know that people are more increased to have depression, more increased to have suicidal tendencies after businesses close or lost at jobs. And we see these aspects that are coming into these businesses that we can bring in IO psychology aspects to try and help these companies and these workers who really through no fault of their own might be put in positions that they might not have employment. So that's just one of those areas that we're trying to bring in IO psychology. And I just thought that was interesting. That's amazing. And if you're that, that's amazing. Come back. If I think it's our two o'clock session, why hire an IO psychologist? Like maybe you can speak more about what you're looking for in terms of that, just to give us an idea, because we're trying, we're trying for our our community. That is a super cool niche area. Could, could you imagine if you're a consultant for comp- if you're a, if you're an IO psych- like psychology consultant, strictly for companies who have had ransomware attacks and dealing with the implications on the workforce for that? That is a super niche, a super cool niche. And who else are they going to call? Besides Ghostbusters, because that is like the, that's so super niche. You're speaking directly to them. You're in that realm. You know all about the rank. So thank you, Alexander, for sharing that. That's amazingly a great share. I will um, try. Okay. The session, I will be driving most of today or after a couple of hours. So I will try to join. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. But that was, that was amazing. That was a great way to end today's discussion. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at Seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At Seabock.com.